Today is um, August 7th. It's Sunday morning. Our message is going to be called Gleanings. And, you know, I, being in a hospital, we've not, we've not turned on the TV. It's amazing what becomes unimportant during uh, life and death moments. And we have decisions to make about hospice and uh, healings and all kinds of things. And so we've not watched a lot of, a lot of news. And I turned on the radio on the way from the hospital to, to the church today. And, uh, and I heard that the U.S. credit had been downgraded. And man, they were lamenting it and lamenting it. I want to tell you, Jesus has not had a credit downgrade. And, you know, not only does China not hold his debts, uh, he holds theirs. So we don't have to worry. You need to decide which system you would really like to invest in. Uh, they said this morning on the news that Australia, Canada, Denmark, Germany, Holland, Norway, Singapore, Sweden, Switzerland, Austria, Finland, France, and Great Britain all have better credit scores than the U.S. government, right? I was really comforted to find out if we need a cosigner, though, there's, uh, there's Slovenia. That, that's, that's, that's good for us, isn't it? And on a map, they can't fit their name in that little country. And if you can find that country in, I don't know, the next five minutes, I, I'll give you a couple bucks. Uh, I found it, and, and its abbreviation is slow. So I don't know what that says about us. Uh, I was heartened, though, uh, listening to men's solutions to find out that... Uh, you know, the best our government can do is to go on a, a new bus tour, uh, which brought to mind a couple of questions immediately. And, you know, I, I wondered had Air Force One been repoed? Uh, and when they said it was a bus tour uh, for jobs, I wondered whose job? You know, ours or theirs? Uh, guys, I don't know what to tell you other than in this, this city, uh, we had a governor come and, and announced that he hoped to have a day of prayer. Uh, I'm thrilled to death about that. I don't know much about him. I don't, I'm not that invested in that system. I vote because it's important. Uh, maybe you believe pastors ought not have opinions about these things. You're going to be disappointed in a lot about me. Let's start there. Uh, they expected 8,000 people to show up, 44,000 showed. Uh, all they talked about on the news, though, this morning was less than 50 who were protesting. Uh, guys, I'm convinced that you hold power. I'm convinced that when you pray, things happen. I'm convinced that our very best hope starts a single life at a time, then a family, then a community, then a city, then a nation. And my hope has never been in a political party. Uh, I, I'm not a Democrat, but I miss Bill Clinton right now. And uh, you might be a libertarian. I don't know. What we know, though, is that these men are all flawed, and our king is not flawed. And I want to invite you to do something. We're going to glean from the Word of God today things that don't change. They don't lie. They don't wiffle-waffle. They don't change an opinion based on a pulp. They're things that will make you wise unto salvation. And that's what I want to share with you. We could spend all of our time investing in this or that and be very zealous about it. But this is the one thing that is important. So turn with me to the book of Ruth. If you're looking for Ruth, you start in Genesis, move through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 
Joshua, Judges, and then you come to the tiny little book of Ruth. There, there, there. I'm going to do one more thing that they tell you never to do when you preach. People think so lowly of our attention span that you're told never to read more than four or five verses at a time when you preach. I, I'm capable of taking bigger bites than that. How about you? Anybody in here ever been to a buffet? So we're going to read. We're going to read a little bit of this chapter. We're going to read quite a few verses of this chapter, and then we're going to talk more about that and go on a tour through the Word of God. If you don't know the books of your Bible very well or these are unfamiliar, I rarely lie when I preach. So you can write them down. You can look them up later. Uh, and there are people all around me. If you think I'm twisting this in some way, ask somebody and we'll work together on that. Okay? So starting in Ruth, look at the second chapter and first verse. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Friends, when you have to go pick up leftover grain that was in a field, can you say that you were hungry or desperate? Oh, yeah. I would say so. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. I want to tell you that the Word tells us, Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Work at it in the name of the Lord Jesus. When we teach our single people in this church, we teach them that the first place that you have a chance to give God something to work with is in your workplace. Whatever He's given you to do. I don't believe that she simply found herself in this field. I think that this field was a divine appointment because she gave God something to work with as she went out and tried. All too often, we live in an entitlement society. We want everything done for us and the kingdom is not an entitlement society. It is entirely based upon one thing. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. That is what the kingdom is based on. And when this woman had a need, she went to work and God begins to meet her where that need is. She found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. They called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning until now. Come on, say work steadily. Work steadily. When is the last time you worked steadily in the kingdom of God? I mean, you may have started a project to fix a lawnmower and didn't stop for a weekend. You might one time have decided to build something and you could not rest until it was done. But when is the last time you were possessed of an idea to work in the kingdom and you can look back on your behavior and call it steadily? All too often the body of Christ is wishy-washy. 
We're called to it unless it's raining that day. If we broke an eyelash, we're on injured reserve. This woman went out and worked steadily in the field. We're going to come back to some of these. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. And follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from water from the water jars the men have filled. Before we move on with the real meat of this message, I'd like to show you just a small overview. This woman had a great need. She was desperate, so she went out and began to steadily work. While she was steadily working, a benefactor, a benevolent redeemer figure noticed her. And the first thing that he does is bring her under his protection and then provide for her. This is a beautiful shadow and type of the way we come to meet Jesus. He is supposed to find us in our desperate need. If you came to Jesus without ever having a desperate need, you're in a race but never started at the starting line. You jumped in somewhere in the middle. Salvation is born out of the heart cry of a human being that is, I am failing without you. My life is broken without you. My best efforts are amounting to nothing and I desperately need you. And then we come under His protection, under His provision. This is the way that the Gospel works. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. This is not something that I can teach on now, but if you have a appetite for the deeper things of God, the mother-in-law is very much like Israel. Foreigners who treat Israel well, God notices. And the death of the husband is what Romans 7 teaches is the death of your flesh. But that would be another message. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded. The Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Friends, if it is raining and you come to take refuge under an umbrella, stand up, David, that David is holding. You can't do it from over here. You can't do it from over there. There's only one way to take refuge under an umbrella that David is holding. You have to stand close to it. Guys, that's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> she was clinging to something. She had been invited to leave the God of Israel. Her own mother-in-law said, you should probably go back home. She said, I'm going to die where you die. I'm going to live where you live. Please don't ask me to separate. She had a desperation to be close to the living God. And in that desperation, she went out to begin to work. And so God sent her a Redeemer figure. And that Redeemer figure took her under His protection, made provision for her. And they began to develop a relationship that you know put her in the ancestry of Jesus. No longer a foreigner. Made her family with God. Are you beginning to see a picture here? Well, I learned a lot more that I had not expected just from the way that Ruth gleaned. And I'd like to talk to you about that. The same way that Ruth goes out into a barley field to glean, 
We need to go out into the fields of prayer, meditation, the Word, fellowship. We gather our spiritual food in those ways. Turn with me to Acts 2.42. I want to show you what I mean. In this country, we often go to church, right? Am I wrong about that? We go to church. In the times and language of the Bible, they don't go to church. They actually are the church. The church was not a building. It was not bricks and mortars. It was people. So you were having church any time you were with the saints of the living God. Ruth went out to gather in the fields. She gathered, and our job is about gathering as well. And I want to show you the first place that this takes place. There's going to be about six of these, but I am not an outline kind of fellow. And I didn't put it on a PowerPoint because I didn't want you to hold me to it. So here comes Acts 2. Look at the 42nd verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was an environment of selflessness, an environment of sacrifice, an environment of unity. How many times has there been a call to unity in the church? How many times have you heard some message about the need to unify in the church and can't we all just get along? What, did y'all go to sleep already? No. Are y'all bored already? No. Well, then talk to me. I'm asking you a question. You hear it a lot. Thank you, David. The rest of you can go home now. You do. You hear that a lot. When did you ever see somebody sell their house and use those funds to go towards others' needs to create unity. You see that rarely. How many times in the church have you heard people cry and pray for miracles? Lord, we want your miracles. We want miraculous things. These people got miracles because it was an environment of self-sacrifice. They would do anything to have all things in common. There's an amazing pattern in the book of Acts, and I won't bore you with the linguistics, but there's a word here that is translated all things in common, and it means homo thumaden. That's, that's it in Greek. And what it literally means is multiple entities, like, I don't know, say, Cap and JJ and Matthew and Steve and Bill and Mike and Bob, multiple entities all acting with a single purpose and harmony. That's where miracles begin to happen. That can't occur around a political ideal. That cannot occur around a monarchy. That cannot re uh, occur around anything other than the unity that comes from death on a cross in one purpose. I'm going to live for Jesus now. Do you really think that these people didn't have differing experiences? Do you think that they didn't come from different countries? Do you think they didn't speak different languages? Do you think they didn't like different foods? You know, all of those same differences existed. But they unified around one thing. The death of their will and the lifting up of his. Amen. This is where we go to glean. You go to glean in a fellowship of believers that is worldwide, that is marked 
by the way of the cross, self-sacrifice. And this is also where miracles are. Because when there's great need, there's a great deliverance. When we don't see those things, how many times, I know I have missionaries in the room, how many times do you hear, why don't we see those things in America? Because there's no need. There is no need. There's also no self-sacrifice. We give the change out of our pockets and it's more than the whole that someone else gets. Except in God's eyes, it's not. I want to encourage you today that our very first gleaning that comes from Ruth is that we must go out to glean in the fields of the Word. And we must begin to actually apply it to our lives. Look at the way this begins to develop in Philippians. Turn to the right in your Bible. You get to the Pauline epistles and you'll go Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Giants, Eps. Great and exalted testament. There's a bunch of ways to say it. Are y'all sleeping? No. Did y'all come to church fat and full? When you get to a scripture, tell me when you're there. We're looking for Philippians 2, and we're going to start reading in the first verse. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with His Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. When he says fellowship of the Spirit, understand that the person sitting on your left, y'all can look to the person on your left. You can now look to the person on your right. Statistics say one in three people is pretty, so if they're both ugly, you're doing well. <laughs> that person sitting there, if they are a believer, has become a temple for the Spirit of God. People all over the world go to temples to worship their gods. They go to a physical representation to worship something that they believe is intangible. Our God is different. We worship Him by fellowshipping rightly with each other. This is what becomes important with fellowship. The, the thing is, is she went out into that field alone with a need. But she wasn't alone once she got in the field, was she? The Bible says she found herself working in the field. You may find yourself, to borrow a phrase from the 70s, when you're working with some other people that have like interests. No man is an island. You cannot fellowship with the living God in isolation. You can't do it. The Bible says do not forsake the gathering together of believers. How about Philippians 3 while we're right here? In Philippians 3, look at the 10th verse. Say there when you're there. There. I miss my little Spanish congregation that was in the back last week. They know how to speak during the services. You people are almost as bad as it was in Germany. It didn't matter whether you lit yourself on fire and jumped up and down, they went. It is okay to agree out loud in church. It is okay to be excited. It is... Whoever told you that church was supposed to be boring probably had never been to real church. And if you're used to collars and robes, I'm sorry, we don't have them. What we do have is we have zeal for the living God. And I pray you have it too. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't even have to do a good job for you to think it's good. You know why? Because we're tapped into the same source. I, I hope to God you know everything that I'm sharing already. 
We get together and I'll entertain you by telling you things you already know if you have been seeking the living God. I encourage you to wake up. Rouse yourself. Work at this. I think I probably slept an hour, hour and a half last night. What's your excuse? (laughs) You know what it is? We're used to sitting and so We're used to a sage on a stage. One more lecture. And we walk out the same way we came in. Don't do yourself that disservice today. Don't do it. Here comes Philippians 3. Look at the 10th verse. Isn't that what I told you? I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to obtain to the resurrection of the dead. It is an amazing thing that happens. If two men have prostate cancer and survive it, they become friends. If two people endure a war in a foreign soil and they come back, they feel a sense of fraternity. One reason that there is no sense of fraternity in the body of Christ is we do not endure suffering together. There is only affluence to be endured. And what I'm trying to say is that when God has become the head of this temple, when His Spirit is inside of you and you're being only obedient to Him, suffering is inevitable. And brothers are born in adversity. It is hard to do the will of God. Any fool can give full vent to his anger. Any man with no discipline can go do anything that he wants to do. But it takes a courageous, righteous man to yearn for the power and presence of God. And you begin to recognize others who do the same. So you meet them once on a foreign mission field and you love them for a lifetime because brothers are born in adversity. Ruth went out into that field alone, but she joined a family that day. Something changed forever. This woman is the great, 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 how many ever greats, grandmother of Jesus. She had been known as a foreigner and a Moabitess, but she became united with people locked in a similar struggle. Friends, what brings unity in the body of Christ is when we endure together. Not say be warm and well fed and go on your way. When we begin to pick up each other's struggles and yearn for each other. Dear God, when is the last time you were convinced that somebody else cared more about your interest than you did? Do you know that that is the mark of a Christian? When is the last time you could look and go, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that guy cares more about my welfare than I care about my welfare. That's what a Christian is. That's not an event on a mission field. That is everyday, normal Christianity. It's just rare as diamonds. Actually, it's more rare than diamonds. Those can be bought with a price. This is bought with your blood and sweat. It's bought with the surrendering of your will. 1 John 1.7, I'm not going to read it to you, but what it does say in the King Eric translation. Isn't that Come on. Gabriel lives with me. He knows what the King Eric translation sounds like. <laughs> in the King Eric translation, what 1 John 1 7 teaches us is that when we walk with Him, we have fellowship one with another. We cannot live fragmented lives, isolated lives, segmented lives, and then say that we're in fellowship with Him. You know why? He's connected to people all over the globe. How can we not care if people don't have clean drinking water? How can we not care if people are gleaning and not finding sheaves? We have to care. You have to care first and foremost about the people that God's put in your immediate life. And when you're doing a good job with that, then we begin to reach out 
because Christianity starts in Jerusalem and moves to Judea, then Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. The kingdom begins inside of you and then expands outward. And I want to tell you a secret. If it is not on the outside, it was never on the inside. You can stand all day long and say, God knows what's in my heart. He does, do you? You know what a tree is by the fruit that is on its branches. The same way that she gathered barley, we have to learn to gather spiritual truths. I want to tell you one of the setbacks to that. She gathered piece by piece. Her gains were little by little. We must be content to grab one truth at a time. We need to know that there may not be some giant bundle just waiting neatly packaged in ten steps, a church planting church in a box. Every gospel lesson that you receive, every time a truth is given to you in a congregational setting, in a private prayer moment, in a prophecy, in a tongue or interpretation, however, it's allowed in your church. Isn't that a funny thought? That men would get to decide what was allowed by God in a church. Everyone makes you wise for salvation. The thing about gleaning, friends, is you don't go out and go, Oh, here's my 55-gallon drum. I've got it. Now I'm done. Gleaning is a little-by-little little process. Inch by inch. It's marked by perseverance. It's marked by endurance. And so is Christianity. We're, we bought into an idea that says if you are born again, it will all come to you quickly and easily and wonderfully. And it will never be hard. That only works in the churches God doesn't visit. <laughs> MasterCard reigns. I don't know who reigns, but I know it's not the Lord of the universe because He dwelt with the lowly and the humble and the poor. And He had to multiply fish. He had to do those things because He did not spend His lifetime storing them and carrying them in a lockbox behind Him. What are we protecting ourselves for? The kingdom comes inch by inch. And the forceful, Luke 16, 16 says, force their way into it. It takes a forceful personality. Something that is empowered by God to say, what He's given me, I'm not going to let go of. Yeah, how about Deuteronomy 7? I want you to see this. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we're going to be in the seventh chapter. Tell me when you've hit the 17th verse. There, there. My brother's fast. He, he is. He's fast. Matthew and I have been worshiping the living God together since he was 16 and I was 17. He baptized me in an apartment swimming pool. People ran like roaches from the light on the Saturday morning. We knew about as much as a gnat knows about Jesus. But we weren't going to let go of what we did know. We were not going to let it go. It came inch by inch. Youth and inexperience bought us some mercy. <laughs> the weekend I was saved, I grabbed a biker by his chest hair and drove him all over the mall because I didn't think he was treating his child right and I preached to him. I don't recommend that. <laughs> when I got arrested, I thought I had sinned because I promised I would not come back and do that again. I thought that's what the Lord wanted me to do. Sometimes the truth comes an inch by inch. But you have to be tenacious about it. In Deuteronomy 7, look at verse 17. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? 
But do not be afraid of them. Remember well, the Lord your God did to Pharaoh. What he did to Pharaoh? In all of Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Do not be terrified by them, for the Lord your God who is among you is great and awesome God. Isn't that great for those of us that lived through the 80s? God is awesome. You know? The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. What's that phrase right there? Little by little. One of the difficulties in Christianity is that the success looks more like a marathon than a sprint. Christians get born again and they start like a Roman candle and they're going to set the whole world on fire and white and the church doing this and that and this. And they're long on activity and short on obedience. Never taking the time to hear from God. Full of wisdom and advice for everyone, but never having taken the time to carry it out themselves. The kingdom advances little by little. One truth making you wise to salvation at a time with careful implementation. What's that verse going to say? If He drove them all out at once, they would be overrun by wild animals. Friends, you may not face wild animals every day, but your flesh is more ferocious than a lion. And if you found immediate success in the kingdom, if right away the world fell down before you and said, what must I do to be saved, Gabriel? I mean, great man of God, what must I do? Your flesh would overwhelm you. So when God gives an inheritance, it comes little by little, inch by inch. And yet it is not at all uncommon to see somebody born again a month. And very frustrated, God has not fixed what it took them 40 years to file up. They bought into the wrong message. Ruth went out to glean. She began working in the morning and she had not stopped at the midday. She took one handful at a time. And that was enough because it was progress. Come on, has God given you any reason to believe that there's progress? Is there anything that He's done for you this oh, year that you did not see five years ago? Yes. Where are the testimonies yes. of the Amen. living God? Has He done anything for you, church? Yes. Yes. Then how quick are we to forget what did He do to make us doubt Him? Why is it that when we face the next trial, we forget that He provided the last sheep? You are where you are now because He enabled you to be there. Amen. You have what you have now because He gave it to you. You are who you are now because He allowed it. Amen. Amen. And instead, like spoiled, entitled children, we cross our arms and say, He hasn't done this for me. He gave me an Xbox, but I wanted a Sony PS2. How long will they put up with our insolence? The kingdom advances inch by inch, handful by handful. Turn with me to Proverbs 13. Proverbs is right in the middle of your Bible. It's easy to find. You don't have to rebel on this one. If I tell you to go to Amos, you can give me a hard time. Look on your brother's page. Actually, I'm in the new Bible, and when I turn an inch, we, we go 2,000 years. <laughs> Proverbs 13. Look at verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. I'm not speaking about money, but I am talking about something that you have to fight to obtain you value. 
How many of you want your... How old are you when you drive in Texas? I was 15 in Louisiana. And I was still in my parents' car a long time before then. 16. How many of you want to give your 16-year-old son a Maserati? Why would you not do that? He's not ready for it. Will he appreciate it? Well, he will for a few minutes. The newness will wear off and then he'll be spilling stuff in it and bumping it into shopping cars and seeing how fast it'll go. You might do that at 62. The things that the Lord gives us, by the way, the Proverbs say a man who gets his inheritance all at once in the end, it will not be a blessing to him. He gives you through straining and effort and dependence on him because then you value it. Why on earth did you pay what you paid for a wedding ring? Or a car or a house? Because it was the one you wanted. Not one of 50 and anyone would do. You value something when the Lord has allowed it to become precious to you. You know why people don't value scriptural truth? They didn't have to fight for it. It was just vomited out there for the masses every Sunday morning. It was printed in a doctrinal statement that we all agreed on before we came in the building. You did not wrestle with your salvation over it. But if you've ever been in a place where you needed to know whether God wanted to raise a man out of a bed or take him into the presence of God, you value that truth. Amen. If you've ever had a mother look at you who's just lost a baby and want to know seriously whether she did anything wrong, Oh, it's so easy just to say, no, you didn't do anything. But what if she's worshiping the devil? One of the most amazing things is I watch people pray, and I do it too. I just want you to understand, when we don't know what to do, we pray for healing. But we've never considered that that might not be His will in some case. That's not a recipe for defeat. I'm telling you that Christians die just like anyone else. And for us, it's not the end, and that's a part of the statement of our faith. So how do you walk into a hospital room, spend less than 10 seconds in conversation, never met any of the people there, walk in and say, in the name of Jesus, the Lord says, raise up. Did he say that? Did you know that he said that? See, those are the truths that become precious to you when you have wrestled with it. I've been fortunate enough to know sometimes that he has said that. Not that long ago, we saw a woman get out of a wheelchair in Mexico and walk home. We know that we know that we know that was his will. That's an amazing thing. Truth that you had to fight for inch by inch becomes precious to you. But what do we do? We decide that if it isn't easy and if it wasn't just thrown at us, well, we'll just move on, right? Come on. You had to pray a long time for that spouse. You appreciate them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you spent years alone, you value fellowship. If you've ever been in a place where you didn't speak the language and you couldn't communicate with the people and you were hurting because when you were in the store you couldn't tell peanut butter from motor oil, you value that first friend that can speak to you. Come on, church. When we go out to glean in the fields, when we go to do this, it's precious every handful because you didn't have that handful before you got there. Desperation breeds miracles. I get asked all of the time, Pastor, how is it that this miracle occurs? Or what do you have to do to get it? And people are looking for a formula, and the formula starts in desperation. It starts in great need. And Americans are not very good at getting in great need. Turn with me to Proverbs 25 too. I need to show you this. 
I, I want to release you in advance so that you don't get your feelings hurt with me. I have no goal here to, to put you through some endurance test, but I also am not at all concerned about the clock on the wall, okay? Uh, I have a good word for you. And if at some point, because you had prior plans or, or your uh, legs hurt or, or you just want to get up and walk around, I'm not offended by any of those things at all. But I ask you also that while you're here, to be here. Amen. God told Moses, come up on the mountain. And it doesn't come through in English, but it does say it in Hebrew. And on the mountain, be on the mountain. <laughs> it's a strange redundancy. But God knows our nature. And we can often be somewhere, but be somewhere else while we're there. How many of you have had a child that said, Daddy, 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 Daddy? And you're like, oh, oh, what is it? And you realize you were there watching TV with them, but you were somewhere else at the same time. I'm telling you, church, you need to be here. God gave me this message for you. Amen. Are you in Proverbs 25? Yeah. Okay, we're going to go to two. You're teaching them to speak. That's awesome, Bill. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. I love these kind of Proverbs. It's almost like out in the field, what had been hidden for Ruth were little special sheaves, precious troves of barley. We didn't read it in the second chapter of Ruth, but did you know that Boaz actually said, look, in addition to the corners that we didn't really go over well, I want you to intentionally leave sheaves for her. Well, what would it look like if she went and laid in the corner then and said, I'm not working today. Is that ungrateful? Well, she said, Fimo, come do it. God forgive me, I'm from Louisiana. <laughs> Things are a little different there. Blue Roos. Listen, she was out working in the king, her redeemer, had left things for her. It was to the king's glory to conceal them, like an Easter egg hunt. But it was to their glory to see them revealed. See, something is kingly about the pursuit of God. And to test you and to prove the genuineness of your faith, it doesn't all come at once. The way that it comes is little by little and you hunger for it. But that process makes you more like Him and less like you. Come on now, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Proverbs 25.2 has always been one of my favorites, but I have to tell you it doesn't feel very good when the truth is obscured for me. It feels good on the other side of it. And like all great achievements, it is an achievement to admit, Lord, I don't understand this situation. But I need you. And I want you. And I'm going to diligently search your word without motive. And I'm going to go pray. And I'm going to shut out outside influences. And I'm going to listen to the people of God, even that one that I think is weird, if they're the one that comes and speaks to you. I need your help. And when He reveals it, it's the kind of thing you never forget. Not your whole life long. I can forget my birthday, my social security number. There have been occasions, even here lately, where I didn't know what year it was for a few minutes. 2010, 2011, who knows? They go by so quick. I've never forgotten the words he first spoke to me. They were given to me and now I own them. They're mine. Nobody will ever take them away from me. I've been in places where people didn't think I had the credentials. They didn't think I had the intelligence. I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have what I needed. But I had what he had already given me. And it was in my sack. And I was not going to let it go. I'd been leaning with Jesus. Amen. Ruth went out to glean. She began to find things that Boaz left for her. 
In 2 Timothy, we're going to find another truth. Everybody can quote 2 Timothy 3.16 or often. The 15th verse is the one we're going to hone in on here for a second. Is that okay with y'all? Good. Even if it wasn't okay, I was going to do it anyway. <laughs> we walked into the ICU the other day. And it was my mother and my sister and I. And I just got to tell you, uh, there's not a more obstinate, uh, strong-willed group of people on the planet that it's almost an unholy trinity. And uh, somebody confidently stepped up and said, there are only two people allowed in here. I said, yes, ma'am, you need to step out. And close the door. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that, but I'm telling you that there is a personality that God can work with. And it's one that will not be refused. Have you ever wondered why a man like Jacob could end up blessed by God? I mean, he wanted all the right things in all the wrong ways. But at least he wanted the right thing. Yeah. 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 Here comes 2 Timothy. Start with me in 3 and uh, we'll read the 15th verse together. I guess we're going to have to read the 14th. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those with whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Now we get to that next scripture that says, All scriptures God breathed. And everybody loves that when we quote it. When did Timothy have to start learning it to be a pastor? From infancy. Did he know it when he was a toddler enough to be a pastor? No. How about when he was an adolescent? No. How about as a young man? I don't know when he became ready, but at some point, God said, That's enough sheaves. It's time to go feed the people. If you have no sheaves, there can be no bread on the table, friends. We very often say, well, I know the Word of God. And you're like, really? How? Because you haven't read it. Well, I've been around it. I've heard it. You know, I know it. It's in my heart. Really? Because there are no sheaves in your bag. I get told all of the time, well, I know it says somewhere. And of course it doesn't. I was so happy when the electronic concordance came out. I carried it with me everywhere. I worked with a guy at the time whose name should probably remain silent. And he was the best at quoting out of the book of opinions, you know. <laughs> he was some back, somewhere back there between maps and concordance. And he said, well, I know it says in there. And it's full of you know, beautiful axioms like cleanliness is next to godliness, you know. Things that are not in the Word. And so with that little electronic concordance, I, was just, I, I stopped speaking. I just started handing it to him, you know. And slowly he found out how wicked and deceitful the heart is. It's beyond cure. There's only one remedy for it. David said, how can a young man keep his way pure? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not enough to think you know it. It's not enough to have tribal knowledge of it. It's not enough for somebody else to walk up and say, here's a beautiful sheath. I want you to have it. If you didn't work for it, if you didn't hurt for it, if you didn't labor for it, it's not yours in the same way. But that Maserati you gave your 16-year-old isn't worth anything to him. He would love a 78 Corolla hatchback with all of his heart if he had to cut grass to get it. I promise that. I had a 78 Corolla hatchback. I learned how to negotiate and moved to a 1984 Toyota pickup within three months. You can be motivated for all kinds of things. I 
love Jennifer. She would have ridden with me on the hatchback. <laughs> I got to ride with her. Her daddy helped her get a nicer car. <laughs> I'm not proud, friends. I'll go with a pretty girl. <laughs> so we go out to, to glean in the fields. These are fields of fellowship, word, prayer, meditation. Then our games are little by little. Look what else she had to do. She had to keep her eyes open. If she daydreamed, if she just started going through the motions, she would have no load to carry home. Think about that. You can be in a field all day, but it doesn't make it productive. Yeah. My daddy, who was laying in a hospital bed at the moment, had to pick cotton when he was a kid. I hope that's not shocking to you, but in Albany, Louisiana, everybody worked. Okay, Things have changed since then, but everybody worked. And he was picking cotton, and he noticed his little buddy Jimmy was not getting any cotton in his bag, although he had been with him all day. And that's because Jimmy was content to be in the field, but was not actually working. That is right where most of Christianity is today. Content to be in the field, but not actually working. Just kind of daydreaming. You know? And this, this, is, this is a disgraceful son who sleeps during the harvest, the proverb says. Jesus said, open your eyes. I tell you, the harvest is now. Look around you. We have work to do. I know you've been told all your life God doesn't need anything. But he prepared good work in advance for you to do. It's got your name on it. And if you don't do it, it goes undone or he has to raise up somebody else to do it. You know, if you've worked hard in a workplace, the only thing worse than having to do your work is to have to do your neighbor's too. Yeah. Come on, in Christianity, can't we carry our own life? Yes. Can't we do what he has called us to do? We must take fellowship, teaching, church life, preaching, Serious. Or it becomes unprofitable to us. We're just going through the motions. Just going through another service. Dear God, how much have we lost already? Anybody been in church more than a year? Raise your hand if you've been in church more than a year. More than five years? Leave them up. More than ten? More than twenty? More than thirty? Man, you people are old. <laughs> more than forty? Okay, so if we had to outline ten sermons, ten in forty years, could you do it? See, how much have we been there but not quite there? How much have we not treasured it to the point that we go sell everything we have and we imprint it upon our heart? I mean, we want our kids taught in Sunday school. We want we want it imprinted on their hearts. But what kind of example are we setting? If I if I just had to ask, and I'm not going to. But if I had to ask what we preached on last week, would you be able to struggle? I, I'm just telling you, I, I'm just like you. I've done all of those things. Okay? At some point, this has to become precious to us. It has to. Uh, if she was just out there daydreaming, she wouldn't get anywhere. Uh, I'm not going to read it, but in Mark 13, Jesus says, nobody knows the day or hour. You, you don't know. He goes on to tell another parable, and then at the end of the parable, he ends with one word. Watch. Watch. To be in a constant state of alertness, awareness, watching. Turn with me to Thessalonians. You're going to be in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. All the T's are together, so if you were still in Timothy, you can hang on left. I, I love that about the Bible. There. Uh, we'll be in 5 and look at verse 4. 
But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are now doing. We were commanded to be alert. And this word build up is oikaranome in the Greek. It does not mean... You know, Matthew, you're a pretty good guy. That's flattery. That's a different word. You want to find that? We can go back to D.C. This word, build one another up, means that I will not leave him in the condition I found him. I have to leave him better than he was before we interacted. It means to put one brick on top of another until it rises to become something Useful for God. Are you built up when you come to church? I mean, really? Or did we endure something and call it a service to God? See, this is supposed to be the time where you're alert and aware. And the reason that you are is something there belongs to you. Maybe the whole field doesn't. Maybe not the whole message. But something there was yours. And you now have it. And it can't be taken away. Amen. When you meet people who are empty, they may have been in the field, but they were daydreaming. Their bags weren't full. They were in the field thinking about being at home in bed. They were in the field thinking about why everybody had more sheets than them. They were in the field bemoaning the fact that they had to go work for their food. They were in the field, but they were not working. In the kingdom, you get everywhere by hungering. For righteousness. The hungry make good gleaners, friends. First Peter 13, 1 Peter 1.13 Don't turn there. I won't lie to you. I'm going to give you another paraphrase. He says, Prepare your mind for action. Yes. Come on now. Let me show you what the opposite of that is. Y'all ready? You ready, Bethany? Hats <laughs> <laughs> and flies are circulating around you. You've been playing Xbox for 16 or 24 hours. Your idea of, of persevering is to get through level 9 before you go to bed, or whatever it is. You know, you're a real hero uh, in the digital world somewhere. The kingdom is about people who have understood the time. They recognize. They could stick their finger out and feel the climate changing. They could go see the fig tree. I see what's beginning to happen. I see the color of the sky. Now is the time to work. If there was one word for the American church, I believe it would be wake up. Rouse yourself. What is wrong? You've been put to sleep in a harlot's lap. And the harlot is a false religion that is a blessing gospel. The gospel is based on self-sacrifice. It's based on a road to the cross. It is not based on you simply being comfortable. The gospel will actually afflict the comfortable. 
and it will comfort the afflicted. If you're not receiving comfort, maybe we need to lower our station. Which incidentally brings me to this point. She had to bend down to receive all that she would get. If you have a stiff back, you make a pretty poor gleaner. You can receive nothing out of a prideful heart. A humble heart is the noble soil that good crops come from. You cannot glean things that grow on the ground from up here. Come on now. How many times have you been so sure you were right? So sure that you were right. That you would take your stand on it. And what is it over? Who washed the dishes last? Who left that there? Who it was that scratched that CD? Who left the car empty with gas? Whatever. And you were so sure you were right. Then a few days goes by and something triggers your memory. You're like, now I remember it was me that did that. Now what did being right cost you? Yeah, friends, sometimes we are right and we are dead right. You know what that looks like? We're approaching the intersection and it's green. And there's a dump truck coming through the cross section. And you have the right of way. Being right is going to cost you something there. Now what happens if you weren't even right to start with? You were looking at the turn lane instead of the other. See, to be a good gleaner of the Word of God, your heart has got to be applied. You have to start from the premise that you might not know everything. Then maybe your doctrinal statement's not as perfect as you think it is. Do you know how sure I have been about things that I now know were wrong? I'm sure I'm the only one. I mean, I was just absolutely certain that those things are not for today. Whatever those things were, until they happened to me. I was just absolutely certain that the little clique that I belonged to may not be perfect, but it was better than all of the others until they threw me out of it because I no longer fit neatly in it. Yeah, come on, church. What does it cost you? A stiff back makes a very poor gleaner. Psalm 141, 1 through 5, I paraphrase for you. It says, It's better than a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. It is an oil upon my head. I will not refuse it. This was the king of the nation that had a heart that said, I would rather you punch me right in the face than let me get off track. Where has that gone? Where is the correctable nature that says, I love your instruction. It is a wellspring of life guarding me. Proverbs 4 says that. Where is it? No, instead, we're sure that we are right. And to say that we might not be is an affront to us our family lineage, and everybody we go to church with. And so what we end up with are fables that we have agreed upon. I, I, look, I'm going to pick on my own background here for a moment, okay? And if it's your background too, then you can be mad with me like I'm mad with me all the time, okay? We all agreed dancing was wrong. Saw it in the Bible. Agreed it was wrong. We looked and saw the deacon could not be chosen if they were addicted to too much wine. And they said, oh, that's grape juice. Because everybody develops grape juice addictions. <laughs> we read in Deuteronomy that when a drink offering is brought before the Lord, it must be fermented. But we went, mm. <clears throat> it's grape juice. I was so sure we were right about these things 
until I found out we weren't. And we build our little camps. And we look over our walls. And we feel better about ourselves when we see them. But they are not who you compare with. You're comparing with the Lord of glory. He puts you in the field. He lets she is just for you. And your job is to find them. And that job is kingly. It is noble. How dare us go and ask somebody else, what sheaves should we have? You give me my sheaves for today. It's sheaves that we've all neatly agreed upon so there'll be no controversy because we know Christianity is for cowards. Did you know that Revelation says a coward will not enter the kingdom of God? I'm not even going to tell you where it is. You should find it if you don't believe me. If you absolutely can't find it, in 30 seconds I'll give it to you after the service. But you should look until then. Isaiah 57, 15. This is another one that I just think is amazing. He says, I dwell in the high and the lofty places, but also with the broken and the contrived in order to revive the spirit of the Lord. Our king is right there when he is seeing people try to glean his truth. So much so that he says, come on, honey, if you see, you'll find. You know why he can say that? He's right there dropping the bread cups. He is right there with the person whose heart is right, assuring that you do not get off track. If you are sufficiently pliable in his presence, he will not let you go wrong. Amen. But the moment you start to bump up against things that say the Lord can never, I could never. Oh, I just can't imagine. You want me to what? He ceases to be your Lord and has become something more along the lines of your magic genie. Your Santa Claus in the sky. He takes orders from you instead of you from him. The Word has given us as a guideline. The Word has given us as a truth. The things that He tells you should Line up with the Word. But let me ask you, when Jesus spit a loogie in the mud and made an eyeball, where was that in the Word? It wasn't. He knew His Father's voice because He knew what it was to glean in that field. All He ever did was latch on to the things God had given Him. Friends, don't accept cliff notes when you can have the real thing. Don't you begin to accept someone else's experience when God called you to have your experience. Am I preaching to anybody here or should I just quit? Oh yeah, come on. I'm glad nobody said, you are preaching to me, but I still want you to quit. <laughs> Psalm 25.9 says that He instructs the humble in His ways. He instructs the humble. He goes on to say He instructs the sinners. Incidentally, if you've sinned much, you learn to love much, and it will make you humble. Amen. Oh yeah. I don't like to go to my hometown because I still run into people 20 years later that I haven't yet apologized to. I tried to get them all. I tried to get them all in the weekend I got born again, but some have evaded me all of these years. And uh, it's humbling. If you've been forgiven, you ought to be a humble person. This goes back to did you start the race at the right place? A gripping revelation of you being a monstrous sinner before God needs to come over you at some point. This gives you a profound appreciation for Him putting you in right standing. It makes you rich in mercy to everybody that is around you. It makes you a good gleaner of truth because you know their gifts and not entitlements. Amen. If I haven't said it enough, let me be very clear. The Lord of the universe does not owe you a thing. That's right. He doesn't owe you 
anything. And if you're in the weird camp that wants to use his word as a leverage against him, you're as silly as the people that teach those doctrines. His word is to help you understand him. It's a sword for the enemy, not for the Father. You cannot bind him to his word. It is him. It is him. He is the word. You might bind your thoughts to the word. You might learn to pray in accordance with the word. You might learn to do all kinds of things, but what you will not do is win a debate. Stop trying. Let him be sovereign. You be his people. Amen. A stiff back makes a bad gleaner. It's best if we learn to bend down. Maybe my favorite, as I was considering all of this, is I realized that as Ruth went out into this field, it would look something like this. If she gathered with her left hand and dropped with her right hand, what would she have at the end of the day? We are ever learning, but never applying. See, a gleaner who only obtains is a failure. We must be as careful to retain the truth by putting it into our lives as we are to obtain the truth. I know that sounds like preacher speak. I'm sorry, I don't know how else to say it. We need to be as careful about keeping something as we are acquiring. James tells us, don't deceive yourself by hearing the word only. Do what it says. We hear sermon after sermon after sermon. But when we don't show up the next week with a testimony, it is an indictment against us who have been entrusted with much but did not bear much fruit. Our level of education has so far exceeded our level of obedience that we should be embarrassed. If you only knew one thing that the Lord wanted you to do and you had nothing to choose from, it would be simple. You will or would not do it. What we've done is we've learned so many things that He wants us to do, we've obscured it from having to do anything. You know, it's just not my calling, you know. The better question is if it's not your calling, whose is it? And why are you sitting there thinking about it? If it didn't help that guy on the side of the road, that's just not my thing, you know? Well then, why did you pass him by? Were you the Levite? Were you the priest, the other of his kind? When you know that you're a Samaritan, you're not too good to help people. She had to hold on to what she gleaned. We can't drop one gleaning to get the next or we go home with nothing. We must be as careful to retain as obtain. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 29.29. We're going to wrap this up here in just a second. That's not as much a promise as it is an encouragement. There. I didn't bring any of my own zeal to the table today. It's just not there. Uh, double hamburgers with bacon on French fries, and 14 days of unending hospital have uh, had stolen all of that energy out. But you know what is the house inside of me? My spirit for the Word. And I get excited just saying the Word, Deuteronomy 29, 29, because it's hidden in my heart and it begins to reverberate and it wants to jump out of my mouth. Yes. It's actually a pain for me to have to find it with this tiny little print in this Bible. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children for a few days. Forever. 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 
that we may follow all the words of this law. The things that God has revealed to you are yours. They were yours because He gave them to you. And you know what? Nobody can take them away. That's what makes greening so much fun. Once you got it, you got it. Maybe it's got you. Have you ever learned something that all of a sudden enveloped your life? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's reading the Word and all of a sudden notice that God seemed to like Israel a lot. I mean, He didn't just think she was okay. He liked her a lot. Took a couple trips there. And it got me. It was not just a truth that I picked up. It was a truth that began to, to swallow my life up. And you know what? As usual, with everything that God does, there was a whole chorus of people that were naysayers. whole chorus of people that thought I was off course. whole chorus of people that should have supported me and instead stoned me. That's normal Christianity, friends. You know how we knew that the truth was real? They couldn't beat it out of me. They couldn't steal it from me. When you have something in you born of God, it cannot be discouraged out of you. Very few people fight to get those. When I was born again, I went and told my pastor at the time, Jesus spoke to me. He knocked me down with his voice. He told me to stay in the denomination I was in. That's where all the resources were. I received discouragement after discouragement, but you know what could not be uprooted from my heart? Or the imprint those words have made on me. And it was very clear, as complicated as the whole scenario was, how do you support yourself? How do you do all of these things? What was clear is this was an issue that was as simple as, yes, I will be obedient, or no, I will not. I pray that this becomes that simple for you. And all the fog of war really does boil down to a choice that says, yes, sir, or no, sir. That's really what it boils down to. Application is important as acquisition. It belongs to you. I'm encouraging you to own it. Revelation 2, 25 and 3, 11 both told the church of Thyatira and the church of Philadelphia hold on to what you have. It was not enough that they had received it. It was not enough that it had dwelt in them for a while. The king of the universe, he actually told the church of Thyatira, I'm not going to lay any other burden on you. Don't lose what you have. Hold on to it. Is it 2.11? I, thought, I think it's 2.25. Uh, 3.11 and 2.25. Thyatira and Philadelphia. Not the city on the eastern part of the United States, but an ancient church. Hold on to what you have. It was not enough to receive it. They had to own it. Live in it. Walk in it. For it to be theirs. I think the last point that I want to show you about a gleaner today is that hungry gleaners work on their partner. My wife will not go to the grocery store with me if I'm hungry. I cast off all the restraints of budget. I'm like Esau yearning for my bowl of beans. Honey, we have to, we'll figure it out. I need Pop-Tarts. Something else can go, but Cocoa Puffs is here to stay. The thing about being a hungry gleaner is that God has always taught His people this. You cannot read the first five verses of Deuteronomy 8 without seeing very clearly that God tests His people by causing them to hunger. 
in order to know what's in their heart. And not only does he hunger them, but then he feeds them with manna so that they will learn. What do they learn, church? That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. A hungry gleaner wants the next handful. You know what's wrong in America? We're not hungry. We're happy. We're complacent. We've got all we need and we want no more. There's a cure for that, but you will not like the cure. It would be a whole lot better to be hungry now. Because the cure for this affluence is oppression. And every time it has ever come upon the real church, the church flourishes. What the devil cannot accomplish with anvil and hammer, he has accomplished with pillow and pillow prophets. This is just the truth. The church of the living God is an anvil that will wear out a hammer. You cannot be beat to death. But you can be blessed to death. Keith Green sang a song in the early 80s. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. It's all I ever hear. No one weeps. No one cries. No one sheds even one tear. You say that I'm coming back soon, but you act like I will never return. His best friends begged him to change the next line. He said, if you will only come to me on Sundays, then don't bother coming at all. His own wife said, please don't put that in there. That's so harsh. But it was true. It's true. We're either hungry for him or we are not hungry for him. Turn with me to Proverbs 16. This is our second to last scripture, and that is a promise. There. I told my family I'd be back at the hospital about two. They laughed at me. They said, we hope you're done preaching about two. Proverbs 16 will be in verse 26. The laborer's appetite works for him. We think it's a bad thing to be hungry, friends. No, it was a service that was given to you. God gave you a servant to work on your behalf and it's called hunger. You employ it. You put it to work. That hunger in you is supposed to drive you towards action, not inaction. Nobody who thinks they're starving to death just lays down. They are scavenging. They are looking. They are begging. They're doing anything that they can do. You ever stopped to help a homeless guy and you gave him food and he waited until you pulled off and put it somewhere else and then went back to begging? Yeah. He was not hungry. That's right. He was not hungry. When you are hungry, every bite is precious. I don't know where y'all are at with the whole fasting thing, but I went through a pretty long fasting phase in my life. Uh, uh, on that note, let me say this. A hunger strike does not move God. Uh, fasting does not make you spiritually stronger. If it did, that, then the devil would not have tempted Jesus in the 40th day of fast. Fasting is for one purpose and one purpose only. It's to loosen the chains of the oppressed. It's for you to do without that somebody else might have. It is for you to eliminate distraction from your life so that you can alleviate oppression from someone else's. So Isaiah 58 will teach you what fasting is. You can't do that today. But in a very long fast, something in the neighborhood of weeks, I remember I could smell a glass of milk being poured in the other room. My mouth began to water. I could smell milk, friends. And when I broke the fast, you know what I wanted? No. Because I had been smelling it. 
I'd been tasting it before I got to it. I had been imagining what it would feel like to roll open my tongue and down my throat. <laughs> I don't know why food for cows became so important to me, but it was. And I was obsessed with the idea. And I gotta tell you, that was the single best glass of milk I've ever had. After that, it was never the same again. You cannot be hungry for what you already have. This is why the nature of the kingdom is always moving forward. Hungry for something more. Hungry for something more. An experience that you had in 1980 with Jesus is fantastic, but it is no substitute for the one we're supposed to have today. Samson killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone and threw it away because tomorrow he needed a new jawbone. Hungry gleaners are good gleaners. The laborer's appetite works for him. What's the rest of it say? Say it loud. His hunger drives him. This is why Jesus could say with confidence, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. If you want to succeed in the kingdom, don't go buy a book that promises you your very best now hunger for the book that's in your hands that the Gideons will give you for free. It's amazing that the things that are plentiful are never precious to us. But if this book was a thousand dollars and you could only get one if you went and spent a day with Tom Cruise or Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Phil or whatever gospel you're listening to these days. I probably shouldn't have picked Hollywood names but if I told you the names that really come to mind you will be mad. Because I really don't see a dime's difference between gospel life and that. Not at all. Having said that, back on track. When you hunger for the right thing, you begin to develop an appetite for it. And to the extent that it's insatiable, it will shape your entire life. This is how you succeed in the kingdom. It's not that you have anything of worth. It's that you're straining for the next thing He's laying them out there. You are like a king for receiving them because you're receiving more of them all of the time. This is what a life that pursues God, not one that is driven by God. It's amazing how the wording gets so fouled up in what is popular in Christianity. I don't have to be driven anywhere. I'm so hungry for Him. If He ran from me, I would chase Him. He has the words of life. Y'all stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Those of you struggling with some medical ailments, we will pray for you. I appreciate you sticking through the whole message. I know that that can be hard. It shows that you're hungry. If you're hungry in a physical sense, there's food in the warehouse. I'm not able to be there with you today. It'll be the first potluck in our church history that I've ever missed. First Timothy 5.8 tells me I have a responsibility to take care of my own family. I've not always done that because I see you as my family. But now they actually are. So uh, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to step out there and let Matthew lead you all in praying for me. Uh, this is one of those longer races, and uh, it is difficult. And if there's no suffering, there's no glory. This is what you were born for. Don't let anybody deprive you of your fight. Amen. Don't hand it off to somebody else. It's yours. You need it. There's life in it. You were made for it. Yes. Amen. Amen. Amen.
but there's nothing wrong with asking your brothers to pray for you. So I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to let you pray for me. Okay? Is that all right? Amen. It's okay? Amen. Come on. Mighty God, I thank you for my friends. Lord, I call them friends because you have called them friends. Lord, everything about this church that you have formed here is unorthodox. It's slightly off balance. It's not what we would expect. We find that oddly discomforting. And at the same time, many of us find it exciting. Lord, I pray that you never become predictable to us. Lord, that you never are confined in the limitations of our understanding. I love you, mighty God, precisely because you are so much bigger, so much more amazing than I can conceive of. Lord, I ask that you would lead us along throwing pearls out before us that we might strain as a man straining to win a race to reach the next one, knowing that we could never earn it, but that you are a rewarder of those who consistently, persistently seek you. Lord, I pray these people are found in your presence and that you are found by them. Open their eyes that they might see your beauty. The earth is covered with it, but we don't always see it. Show us, Lord. Let us glean in the right fields. In the name of Jesus, I pray for life-changing ministries and the guests that are here. Lord, let them be rich in your presence. Amen. 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 Matthew, pray for me and I'm going to leave y'all Amen. Well, five is a number of grace. grace. So take your extenders of grace and extend them towards air. Mighty God, we bless your name. We thank you for this, brother. Jesus, we pray that as your anointing flow through him and giving us this awesome and timely word, that, Lord, that same anointing carries him to that hospital room. Give him, Lord God, the strength to endure. Strengthen his weakened knees, Lord, and let his sleep be multiplied. Let his words be your words and, Lord, his actions yours, so that life may abound within the hospital room, Jesus. Lord, as you fill that room with your presence, Lord, I pray there is salvation. I pray there is the true deliverance. Lord, I pray there is healing in all forms and fashions. We thank you, Lord, for sending us into the difficult places where we suffer so we may depend on you as our only source. It's in the mighty and in the awesome name of Jesus that we pray and we say, Amen. Amen. Hey, you have a temporary pass for Gluttony, so go have a good time. And, uh, this week, Brandon is preaching on Wednesday. Next week, Miss Joellen is preaching. These are exciting times, and the week after that depends on you. So uh, I pray that you prepare a word and... Uh, the congregation should bring the messages. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you haven't met Richard again, you need to do that.